Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bijou Banter here in the Carry Y studio broadcasting in Iowa City. We got Daniel McGregor Hoyer. What up? How you do, guys? And myself, Matthew Hall. Unfortunately, Orson Codd uh, cannot be here today. We had a little bit of a reversal last week. You you can make it. Yeah, I can make it last week, but I'm glad to be here this week. Yeah, but we're still going to continue off the show. And this week, we got two movies that we're going to be talking about. The first one is Wes Anderson's latest film, The French Dispatch, which opens today at Film Scene at the Chauncey in downtown Iowa City. And the second film we're going to be talking about is Edgar Wright's recent documentary, The Sparks Brothers, which uh, just started streaming on Netflix about a week ago or so. And we're going to start with The French Dispatch. As stated, this is Wes Anderson's latest feature film. I believe it is his 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is. I think so. And it has a gargantuan cast. And I have it written down right here. I'm going to read it all. It stars... Bill Murray, Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Timothy Chalamet, Leia Sadu, Owen Wilson, Mathal Almerich, Lena Kodri, Stephen Park, Elizabeth Moss, Jason Schwartzman, Lois Smith, Henry Winkler, Bob Belban, Lee Schreiber, Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, Saoirse Ronan, Tony Revolori, Christoph Waltz, and Angelica Houston. Need a water break? <laughs> uh, I'll probably take one when, you, when we get to your thoughts. And this film is a collection of vignettes and it is a quote from imdb a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an american newspaper in a fictional 20th century french city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the french dispatch magazine what do you think of this movie i honestly loved it i mean no i it is very convoluted like a lot of west anderson films are but i do think that this is probably the most west anderson i've ever seen west anderson be west anderson if that makes sense but um I really loved it. I think the style obviously is still there. I mean, I think Wes Anderson, along with, like, say, somebody like Edgar Wright or Christopher Nolan, has been able to maintain um, this type of style throughout most of his films. This very quirky style, very everything, making sure it's symmetrical, point of view type stuff. Um, And I really like that type of style. It's like an homage to, like, one of those films from, like, years past. And there's always like something so comforting about it. It's weird, but it's always something so comforting. And I think this film is no exception because I think it's, it's still in a very vignette type style, which honestly, I really like vignettes. I mean, probably one of my favorite films from about a few years ago, I think it was 2018, 2019, I think, uh, was The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is basically a Coen Brothers um, film that's told through six vignettes. And to be honest, I really like... St- I really like movies like that. It's kind of like a compilation-style type film that contains overarching narratives um, and overarching themes throughout the whole thing. And this one, I think, is no exception because I think this is kind of where Wes Anderson really shines with his style and his writing. And I really enjoy a lot of the stories. I think my favorite one has to be the one with uh, Jeffrey Wright's character about the kidnapping of the son of, uh, like, I think it's Pope a policeman if i'm correct yeah yeah like a police commissioner i found that to be very enjoyable i really like the segment with chalamet and uh mcdormand about like the like the revising manifesto which i found to be pretty interesting and i also like the first one i mean i think all these these are very solid vignettes and they really do a good job like kind of connecting in with each other and kind of starting and ending and really connect to the heart of the film which is basically the love of journalism which Coming from an organization such as the Daily Island, it's very nice to see something like this, especially in an age where, well, you know, media is not really getting that good of a reception from many people. And I do think that this just shows why we have journalism and why it's so important. But yeah, overall, I really like this film. Yeah, this was absolutely excellent. Uh, Wes Anderson is my favorite working director right now. I adore his films. I adore his style. Just everything about him, like just the stories he tells and in terms of its themes and just the soundtracks and the visual style, just everything about it simply works for me. And for that reason, uh, the French dispatch, this was my most anticipated film of the year, even more so than do. And even more so than last night in Soho. Uh, I was really looking forward to this. Unfortunately got delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was supposed to premiere last year, but we finally got it and it was definitely well worth the wait. And unlike last night in Soho, this did not disappoint. I, Absolutely loved it. Uh, For all the reasons you said, too, just it embodies so much about not only the spirit of journalism, but also its importance, too, just because journalism is uh, newspapers are one of those things where it's like they exist and the newspapers are never going to die. But it's now being taken over by digital media Mm -hmm. because now we can get we can literally just get our news on our phones 
any time of the day, any moment of the day. Whereas back back then, you had to rely on the newspaper and specifically journalists. And these journalists have stories to tell, recounting events, informing people about stuff happening all over the world while also implementing their own style, which for me, I found to be very inspiring for one of Wes's films and just someone who likes to write criticism too. It, it does speak to writers in a way that wants to say like, hey, pursue your creative writing dreams and like, don't let that be like a hindrance in any way. But as an anthology film, it covers, we've already mentioned, it covers three stories, one about an incarcerated artist, the other about student revolutionaries, and the third about a chef and a kidnapping. Each one of these stories are uh, pretty self-contained, and I, I like every one of them. And even though some of these characters, we spend very little time with them, we still get to know them as people, and we get to sen- get the sense of their personalities, the conflict that overarches with them, and just everything about them you see, you feel like you get to know these individuals and it just works really well like i just i could just tell that this is it's pure wes anderson and he did everything that he wanted to do and there were no exceptions yeah because i think he's like he's one of those auteurs like i said that's able to maintain his style after such a long period of time because you know you get a lot of filmmakers that you know try to switch up their styles every now and then and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um, I know your example is very much Last Night in Soho from last week. But um, I do think that with Wes Anderson, it's like he maintains like his inspirations and really holds them incredibly close to him. And to a point where it's like it makes sense for what the story is trying to include. And it, I think it really works. I really think that it adds a lot of depth to his character to his characters, despite the fact that we don't see him that often. And because like times where it's like, you know, these are very relatable characters. And I think a lot of it's really due to the acting. I mean, these are really great performances. I mean, I never, I've yet to see like a bad performance in a Wes Anderson film. I mean, it's because, you know, these actors, they act a certain way. And yes, it's very, what, very like, I don't know, like very one note, very straight. That's all, that's how his, um, actors always go but sometimes like these actors can really pull off like these very great type of these really great performances i mean i really like chimifee chalamet in this um it's very very quirky i think this is a movie that honestly fits him pretty well i surprisingly because you know like you see him in a lot of dramatic films like dune and little women but you never really see him in movies that like have this type of quirkiness to them, and I think he really fits that mold very well. I mean, I really like uh, Benicio del Toro in this film. Leon Sado does a really good job. I Tilda Swinton, obviously, you can't forget about Bill Murray. I mean, Jeffrey Wright, I think, obviously, is my favorite because I think he's like one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood today. Because I don't know, there's something about that voice and just the way he delivers his lines that really much fit in with Wes Anderson's style. De- definitely, I pretty much agree with everything you just said. And what I find impressive about this, since it's in anthology films, I have kind of mixed feelings for it just because it has to be done in a way where it doesn't just feel like it's a collection of short films and not having any sort of like connecting thread. It, coincidentally, yesterday I had to watch a film for my screenwriting class called Paris Jetame. I mm-hmm. think that's how you pronounce it. And yeah. It's a collection of 20 or 20 something short films by 20 different directors, all central to the overarching theme is is love and France. It's a really cool concept. But the problem with that is that there's really nothing connecting them together. And it feels incredibly slow paced because there's so many stories in about a two hour time frame. So it literally felt like I was sitting there for like 13 hours. But what's nice about this is that, first of all, it's under two hours. But two, they only focus on three stories. Each story is about... 30 to 40 minutes long. I wasn't keeping track, but it allows you to really get invested and really get attached to the the narrative and the characters and just what they have to go through in a relatively short amount of time. Because uh, And what also helps is that there is actually something connecting them together. Like the first few scenes introduced the staff of the French Dispatch, how it is this bureau of a American newspaper. And we see the staff members, what they do, why they're doing it and also the reason why all these stories are taking place is because the main editor-in-chief passes away and this is their final issue it's showcasing their uh what they consider to be the best stories in their magazine and there's a lot of visual cues too in terms of how the the magazine stories are being implemented 
into, I guess, sort of playing with the idea of like the observer, the reader, the viewer. And it's done so in a really clever way, but we could talk about that in a bit. Yeah, I mean, for sure, man. I think it just, it really fits in. I mean, I think, and I think if it didn't have this type of setup, I feel like the film would have been lost. But I think having that setup of the final issue really helps, you know, show this spirit of journalism much better. Like, even though, like, say, yeah, this issue is dying and this, like branch is dying but it's like we kind of get a gist about like yeah i mean this is what makes journalism so great and there's many others out there that are like this that really want to have that journalism especially here in iowa city obviously another shameless plug for the daily island and you get a little village out there the gazette i mean you get a lot of news a lot of news organizations out there that really are dedicated to the whole spirit of journalism and because you know it is important to have yeah i mean as as someone who also likes to write to specifically nonfiction criticism because that's why i'm i'm a cinema major and i'm going in for film criticism it really does sort of it it, it, spe- it speaks to to writers but also it doesn't alienate non-writers and that's something i thought about just because wes anderson going back to him as a director and an auteur uh, he has a lot of fans, but he also has a lot of detractors. A lot of people, if you look at Wes's style, people will either love his films or hate his films for literally the exact same reasons. And I think this film, we even talked about this too, because we saw it together last night. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that it, it had this sort of self-aware pretentiousness to oh, yeah, it. definitely. Which I, th- I thought was hilarious because they're talking about like, oh, sort of the the observance of highbrow art and also how journalism and writing it's it's full-on written expression but also there's they people take their liberties what they want to write and also inject their own personal feelings into it but it never speaks down to writers and never i don't think anderson is trying to say like oh i know all the answers i want to tell you what my viewpoint of journalism is i don't think that's the point which people people might be able to get that out of it which if they do it's like i mean i could kind of see that but it's not necessarily the intent the intent is just sort of to poke fun at sort of the quote-unquote pretentiousness of journalism while also sort of celebrating that in a way. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I know we we're already going to mention this director who is probably having the next film that came up next and the one that came from last week. It's like, kind of like how Edgar Wright does genre films of like the Cornetto trilogy where it's like, you know, he's making fun of um, horror films or cop films or sci-fi films, but he's honestly doing a very good job like do good service to them because like you know he's still showing his love through those films and i think this is kind of no um and and there's like obviously a lot of love here with wes anderson and journalism and he really cares about the spirit of journalism so i feel like it really falls through yeah he, he definitely cares and if for whatever reason he didn't care about journalism he decided to make a movie about journalism it would just feel cynical and disingenuous mm-hmm. but you never get any sort of cynicism or pretension from this film. It just feels very loving. I, he, he even described it as a love letter to journalism, which is the best way to put it. It's because even though some of these characters, their moral ideologies are different in terms of how we view art and artists. Like, for example, Benicio Del Toro, he's the incarcerated artist Moses who paints a... Um, a nude a nude portrait of the security guard which is literally just a bunch of splotches it's it's like yeah. oh it's modern art it's high art it's like it's above us and then also timothy Chalamet, he's this like student revolutionary who writes a manifesto and thinks he's like some sort of like symbol of just you know student movements where really it's just oh i just want like freedom i want to yeah. use my freedom of speech it's like yeah these people are flawed in terms of what they believe but it's not saying like oh you are wrong for believing this like you you understand where they're coming from and even if you don't agree with it, it still shows this incredible amount of passion and also questioning how do we view it as an outsider. Yeah, for sure, because I feel like, you know, initially it's like we're put in the shoes of the journalists themselves. So I think obviously to reiterate who the journalists are in this film, Tilda Swinton, Francis McDormand, and Jeffrey Wright are like the primary um, journalists throughout the film. But even then, it's like they're, they're in the film. They're obviously narrating the stories. Mm-hmm. But it's like we're not even... It's like we're not even getting character development from them. We're getting character <laughs> development from the sources, which honestly is very clever because, you know, it's like how journalists typically do things. It's like they're kind of observing the story as it goes. And, 
even though yeah there's like some involvement with mcdormand's character um in chalamet's um and like the second one um you do get the gist it's like yeah we're essentially put in the shoes of these journalists and why and how they're observing these stories which i found to be very fascinating it definitely is but we will be right back with more french dispatch after this quick psa Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on Wes Anderson's latest film, The French Dispatch. And we left off on how the journalist perspectives are seen more, like they are writing these stories, but it's actually more about the the people within the, the stories, which also brings me to the visual cues, just because Wes Anderson is very well known for his visual eclectic style in terms of set design, cinematography, in playing with symmetry, incredible amount of precision to it's it almost feels like the way this work this whole world works is like based on just like an incredible like assembly line almost mm, yeah. and what i find so interesting is that this wes anderson plays with color and aspect ratio in this film in a way that i really haven't seen before at least that he's done because he's done he's played with both like specifically grand budapest hotel in terms of time periods but what i found so clever about how this film play with color is that it starts off in in like sort of a muted color tone or palette, almost like it's like from the sixties. And then as soon as we go into the stories, it turns into black and white, which is interesting enough. But in, in between all those stories, there's little bits of of scenes that are in color, which uh, it's sort of like in a way when we're viewing the story in black and white, it's almost as if we are the reader of the French dispatch. And when we go to color, it's from the perspective of either the journalist or a character within the story. And it's such a simple detail that they, he really didn't have to go that far with it, but I'm so glad he did just because it, it only adds more character, but also adds to the idea of like the reader, the observer, the audience member playing with all those perspectives. Yeah, it really does. Like, because I feel that Anderson really just wants to immerse the viewer in that way where it's like, okay, you're going to be seeing it from numerous types of perspectives and are in the journalist's shoes are in the reader's shoes like he really does a good job with that i mean just like this one gorgeous shot that didn't need to be in there where uh the little boy's looking at um sir sharonin's eyes and like my god that is a gorgeous shot like it, it's like something you would see at like one of those classic french films which obviously um wes anderson is very inspired by so that like those don't need to be there, but I'm glad they're there. You're glad you're glad they're there, and also it add it just adds way more to the the themes too, and just the importance of what it means to be a spectator looking into the world, or also being immersed completely in it. Just because it is technically supposed to take place in our reality, but it's so stylized and so centralized with Wes Anderson's sort of vision that it's like this is completely his world. We're we're looking through, I guess, our reality through the eyes of someone that has a complete, complete vision of artistic, like artistic vision, yeah, basically. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And I also think the thing to tap on is just that I think this is probably one of his funniest. Oh, it is. It definitely is. Yeah, yeah. we were laughing a lot. And- yeah, because I'm, I never, I seen his films and I laugh a lot in his films. And sometimes I like take more time to like you know admire a lot of the beauty of certain shots and production design. But with this one, it's like I'm admiring. I'm actually laughing at a lot of the things, and like that. That's not saying that Wes Anderson can't be funny because when he's funny, he's really funny. But a lot of the time, it's like you're more immersed in, in the style of his films, which you know, like that, where a lot of his detractors really take a lot of criticism for. But I think with this, it's like where you're getting you're getting a lot of laughs in this film. Like just so many tiny details that are super super funny and like it and he wants to point out those details for you and it's like and it's not like say he's doing it like say oh yeah look at this laugh at this it's like it's very cleverly put in and it's so subtle that i it's super funny like once you notice it. it's like one of those films you probably got to see more than once in order to like get where the humor is coming from like it really works because it's so dry and idiosyncratic in terms of not only what the characters are saying, but even in just the background too. Like every shot has just so is layered with so much detail too. It's like every single they say like every frame's a painting almost. Mm-hmm. Where like every single shot in this movie is just so beautiful, but 
even then there's just so much so many little things that you would probably never notice on a first watch which is also why i want to go see this again just because there's probably like an entire other movie that we're missing just looking in the background because it's there's so much depth and composition it's so precise well yeah it's like basically every single frame in this film you could put in a freaking art museum oh yeah definitely you could i mean i think that's like where wes anderson really fits it's like every single shot he has it's like it's a piece of art and it's it's because it's, it's again like the french expressionist ideology and it's just having the perfectly composed shots and you could just make so many stories out of what's in the shot i mean there's like so many things going on but it's like there's so much going like there's so much going on that you kind of don't mind you you don't mind it also it's one of those things where it's like, where do you focus your attention on? Because you want to focus to what's in the middle of the frame, uh, especially in some of these, some of the shots that eventually go to 16.9, like the riot scenes of the revolutions or even like the reveal of Moses's art piece on the wall. Yeah. Your, focus, your focus is obviously on the center because that's where your eyes are drawn to. And also Wes Anderson plays a lot with just uh, visual symmetry too. Like there's a great... Um, video essay by Koganata called Wes Anderson Centered. It's mm. on Vimeo. And I highly recommend checking out if you would like to, just because it shows how much attention to detail he positions directly in the center of the frame. But there's also so much in the background that we're just like not being directed to. Yeah, because I think like what, what Wes Anderson gets is always the eye trace because, you know, audience and I, and for those who don't know, eye trace is kind of where, you know, your eyes are supposed to be positioned in the shot. So, like, making sure that there's not much going, too much going on in the background, making sure that there's not um, anything that's distracting you for what's, what is supposed to be um, where your eyes are supposed to be on the frame. And I think he really loves using eye trace to really help guide us into the story and really make us look at the characters and kind of how they're feeling and how they're acting and plus where certain things are going on. And did you notice, like, in the manifesto, I think this is kind of diverting away from, like, the whole conversation a bit, is that there's a handheld shot. There is a handheld uh, yeah, shot. Yeah, I've a never hand- seen a handheld shot in a Wes Anderson film before. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they've been there. I think it's, like, in er- his earlier films. Like, Bottle yeah. Rocket and Rushmore has some handheld shots. Yeah, but usually, like, films, like, in this type of style. I mean, be- I know, like, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore did, but because I've seen those. But I know typically, like, in his... And, like, after Royal Tenenbaums, he's been trying to maintain that style where you don't really get that much of a grip on handheld shots. But here it's, like, there is a... You've never seen handheld shots in his film in a long time, and I found that to be pretty interesting. It's definitely different, and... For a while, just like, oh, is this the first time he's done a handle shot? Like, no, he's done it, but it's been like 20 years since yeah, he's done it. it's been a while since he's done it. Yeah, there's even some shots where, like, I remember when, when the trailer first came out, there was a shot of um, Jeffrey Wright and, like, the police commissioner at, like, the dinner table, and the camera sort of orbits around, and people were, like, flipping out because it's like, oh, the camera moves. It's Because it's so <laughs> rare to see the camera move, like, I don't know, man. on I, that axis. I mean, I don't know. I think I think it moves constantly. You I know, mean, oh, it's like moving like kind of like how a stage show would move. Yeah, like, it's like a passing by train, and it's like the camera is also moving the other way. And it's like yeah, you get those type of movements. We never get a movement where it's like three sixty. That's probably like very interesting, especially for Wes Anderson films. Because yeah, his films, even though there's a, it, there's so much depth to them, they're they almost feel like two D. Also, like even though the, this is a live action film, it's almost like it almost acts like a 2d animated film with uh, just human actors. So whenever we see like any sort of like real three dimensional depth in his films like that, like, like for example, the orbiting camera, it's really just different for him. Whereas any other filmmaker, it's just like, it's so common. Yeah. I mean, because it is, he is like, like I said, one of those directors that have maintained his style for such a long period of time. And so like, I know people like, I'm surprised, like, oh, is he breaking his style here? Like, ah, he's not even necessarily breaking his style because the charm is still there and, like, the whole, like, atmosphere is still there. Like, because there's always that this type of vibe you get with, like, Wes Anderson films of, like, okay, yeah, this is immediately a Wes Anderson film. He doesn't divert away f- from the style too much when he goes into those type of shots because it's still there. Like, there's the costumes are still there and, like, the characters are still acting in the way that... Wes Anderson characters typically act and yeah I mean that's just kind of 
So I feel, really feel like that those type of shots are welcomed in this type of film. Oh, it's de- I'm definitely all for it just because there's always the complaint that's like, okay, Wes Anderson does the same thing in every single movie. I actually saw a tweet that compared Wes Anderson to like uh, people's problem with like the MCU films, which is not a good comparison. Nah, like, cause, so. Cause first of all, Wes Anderson, he comes out with films like every three or so years, whereas Marvel comes out with like three every year. Yeah, <laughs> pretty I mean, much so. It's for this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, I'm, yeah. Wes Anderson takes his time on his films. Oh yeah. He takes his time. It's like he has, he has his style. He knows what he wants to do, but it's not like he's rushing it. He puts so much detail and so much attention to just one film. He's working on his other film right now. Yeah, like so. uh, I'm honestly pretty happy. about okay, the cast list of that one. And it's like, ooh, these are actors I haven't seen in Wes Anderson films before. Like ScarJo's in it. Like, I'm up for it. And so you so yeah, I mean I'm honestly glad that like we get a director like Wes Anderson because I mean obviously you get a Scorsese who does like films He's still working in Hollywood, and I wouldn't say Hollywood. He's kind of on his own at this point, but he's doing films where it's like he's dedicating so much time to it because he's more important about the quality. He doesn't care about the product. I mean, because, you know, like people don't like sometimes consumerist-type films, and the MCU is like one of those type of franchises that, you know, people can love but can understand that it is a consumer product at some point. At least that's how studios make it out to be. Wes Anderson puts a lot of passion and a lot of heart into his films and because he takes his time with it and really wants to make sure everything goes right in his eyes because I don't think he's really had a bad film per se, even like, say, Steve Zizou, which, you know, people can kind of say is his, like, I mean, it's like people kind of consider it his worst. It's like, you know, there's still a lot of people who love it because it's the style is still there and, you know, the charm is still there. And, you know, it's a lot of people's favorite Wes Anderson film. I think like one of, that's like one thing about all of his movies is that there hasn't really necessarily been a bad film in his catalog, in my opinion. No, not, not really. I mean, Wes Anderson is kind of like um, Tarantino films where it's like ranking them. If you were to ask like different people, like, where would you rank? How would you rank your, your favorite Wes Anderson films? Almost nine times out of ten, it'll be entirely different. Oh yeah. And like, Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou is personally my least favorite of his filmography, but I still, at worst, it's mediocre. Like, there's no way I would consider it a bad film. It's just like average, just because I think the characters aren't nearly as strong as some of his other films, and I think at points the story sort of drags on a bit too much. But it's still West. It's still his style is still unmatched in that movie. Oh yeah, it really is. And I think it's like, I was watching, a, I think I was telling you that night, I was watching a car, YouTuber Carson Runquist, um like video of like Western, top 10 West Anderson films. And obviously like his rating, his rankings are going to be so vastly different from everybody else's because there's not a perfect, like, I don't say it's not a perfect West Anderson film, but people have their own personal favorite West Anderson film. And there's just a lot of things I like, you know, oh, I don't like Moonrise Kingdom that much, but hey, I mean, I still like it. I mean, it's still going to be, it's like probably like the most like least critical ranking that I've ever seen of Wes Anderson's films. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I wish we could keep talking about this movie more, but we are almost out of time for The French Dispatch. So final thoughts? Like I said, it's the most Wes Anderson film you ever see. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still Wes Anderson, but I think there is a lot of enjoyability out of it because coming from an organization such as the DI once again, I do think that um, this is a pretty important film to watch just to know the spirit of journalism and the importance of journalism in itself. And I, it still has the West Anderson things that I like. It really, the, the actors are there. The style is there. And the heart is obviously there. So I think this is just a very, very good West Anderson film. I'm not sure I'm going to rank it above my favorite West Anderson films. But I think at the moment, it's going to be an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I absolutely loved that. I, as a massive fan of Wes Anderson, this definitely satisfied uh, my love for him. And also, it only further established why I consider him my favorite director. Just his, just everything about it with his style, but also just his passion for storytelling. And just the passion for the things that he loves just shines through in this movie. It's clear that he loves journalism and wants to share that with the world and also share why journalism is so important, why it matters even in a digital age. And like, it's, it's absolutely excellent. I think as a writer too, it's great to see a movie like this that just shares that spirit and passion for it. 
Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's my favorite Wes Anderson, just but that's just because Wes Anderson films are so good. It's like even though this is a really strong film, it's still to me it's like mid tier Wes, but. It is absolutely excellent. The acting's fantastic. The stories are really awesome. Visually, it's stunning. Uh, it's now playing at Film Scene at the Chauncey. And if you would like to, go check it out. And I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. So we're going to move on from The French Dispatch to another film, which came out over the summer, but it is streaming on Netflix now. So that's why we decided to talk about it. And that is The Sparks Brothers. Now, The Sparks Brothers is the first documentary from Edgar Wright, which last week we talked about his recent uh, fiction film, Last Night in Soho. And The Sparks Brothers is a documentary about the band Sparks, which is uh, members Ron and Russell Mail, their brothers, and they're this pop-slash-rock band, I guess. Yeah, and- I mean, very, very experimental. I mean, I don't know. I think after the film, I was like, I'm going to jump into the catalog. I need to kind of figure out what genre this band falls into, or if it's their own genre. But Yeah, yeah it's just, it's there. It's it just shows their career, how they're seen as this influential, underrated, but also incredibly celebrated band that has been making music for over five decades at this point. What did you think? I... I first thing I gotta do before I actually uh, talk about Sparks Brothers is obviously give my last thoughts on like Last Night in Soho. Um, so I mean, Edgar Wright, like I said, is like one of those directors that um, really has like a sense of style like Wes Anderson does. Um, but it is somewhat flawed in some senses because you know sometimes he focuses more on like the technical elements, and I would say focuses on the story elements. Um, and sometimes, like, it could, like, work. Like, say, Baby Driver, it worked, and then, obviously, the Cornetto trilogy, it worked, but unfortunately, with Last Night in Soho, it didn't for me. I still like the film in terms of style, um, and I still like the cast, and I still like the soundtrack because I think every soundtrack in a Edgar Wright film is worthy. But um, I don't think this is the best, but overall, I would say just give it, like, a 7 out of 10. But back to Sparks Brothers, I think this is kind of a little bit of like a redemption thing because luckily he has two films that were released in the same year. This one was actually premiering at Sundance, and I actually saw it um, a little bit after Sundance. I was kind of glad I got to go ahead and see it. But um, this is a very fascinating documentary, and I think Edgar Wright really fits in the mold of this film pretty well because, for one, he has a love for music, and obviously Sparks, he has a huge love for and he's bringing in all these actors and all these people that worked with the band and just kind of, you know, just talking about the history of the band and, like, how they have maintained such a creative streak. And it it's pretty inspiring because when you think about, like, this is a band that is so outside the box in every single sense of the word. And there is just something about it that is pretty inspiring that they've, they said no to studios and just maintained that level of creativity that they want to maintain. Was it all perfect? No, but I think in their eyes, it's probably the most perfect it can get because they just want to go against the book and make what they want. And I think that's pretty inspiring. And this is just a very, very fascinating documentary. I was excited for this documentary, uh, mostly because of Edgar Wright. And we, I talked about this on the last night. Soho episode last week, but Edgar Wright, is very stylistically distinct and has maintained incredible consistency despite differing in many different genres. And I had never even heard of Sparks at the time. Like, literally knew nothing about them. The only thing I knew about them was that this documentary was coming out and it was by Edgar Wright. So I went and saw it and I was simply blown away. Like, this is, no no exaggeration, this is one of my favorite documentaries, honestly, right now and it's one of the few that i was actually excited to re-watch just because i love documentaries but since they're more informative pieces it's one of those things where it's like once you see it you already know most of the information so unless you're showing it to someone else there's not really much of a reason to go back to a documentary this this one is an exception just because after i saw this in theaters i went and like listened to a bunch of sparks albums and really got to understand where they were coming from but what makes this documentary so awesome is that not only does it inform you on so much information, like it's clear that Edgar Wright put in so much time into mm-hmm. research and just going into the Sparks catalogs to get everything out, but it also hides some of the mystique. Like um, I remember when this came out, Mark Kermode of The Guardian, he did a review for it and he said what makes, he said something along the lines of like what makes this documentary work is that it 
tells you a lot about Sparks, but doesn't give you all the answers because Sparks is so, there's so much mystery behind them. Like oh, they're yeah. they're not they're not weirdos or anything. It's not like they're nothing negative. Yeah, but they're not like Tommy Wiseau. Or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like there's just so much like what is what makes Sparks tick, but they never reveal the secret. And I think that's what really helps is that even though they tell you, you definitely learn a lot more about these guys after you watch the documentary, regardless if you're a Sparks fan or not. But it still doesn't tell you everything. And I think that really helps. And even as a documentary, the presentation is just fantastic. Like this has oh, yeah. just everything about from the there's animation, there's incredible photos and videos to archival footage. It's just Simon Pegg as uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost as John and Ringo. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they do voices for it. <laughs> like, it. It has that Edgar Wright style and feel, even though this is a documentary about a band, which I think is really impressive. And also shocking considering uh, Last Night in Soho, which was entire, well, it was his own film, but it, it didn't have that style, whereas this documentary did. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's because maybe the soundtrack is more fitting here because, you know, I mean, the thing I can actually give Sagar Wright about Last Night in Soho is that he has a dedication to nostalgia. I mean, I think I follow him on Instagram and he loves 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 nostalgic films and loves a lot of really old-timey films and really embraces that i mean that's like one thing i can give him with last night in soho um because he really loves that period where the film is trying to you know time travel back to but with this film i feel like you know he really since it's just one particular subject it's not a whole year and a whole decade he is really embracing the music and the sounds that made Sparks. I mean, Sparks is very avant-garde for what the music style is. It's kind of like Queen a bit, but not exactly. It's The lead singer kind of sounds like the lead singer of Rush, but not exactly. I mean, it maybe even go to, like, down on Tiny Tim territory or just Shag's territory a bit, where it's just, like, it's so weird, but you can't help but enjoy it. But I don't know. I feel like it still works out incredibly well because, like, he has such a love for it and he really has so much dedication just going back into the catalog and, you know, just detailing the informative history that it is, even though we never know what makes the Spark Brothers, well, to put it lightly, Spark, you know? <laughs> it it has a lot of character, too. Just the overall presentation and just these these two brothers and... What I admire so much is just their incredible amount of dedication to their work because it doesn't it's not all just like happy. There's a lot of parts that are legitimately emotional just because this these two brothers, they tried everything just to like get their name out there. And it's not like they they never um, they never just committed to saying like, oh, let's just put out a studio album. Let's just make some commercial. No, they they did what they want to do and they just kept fighting for it. And there's there there's a big portion between i think it's like 1987 mm-hmm. to about 1994 where they didn't release an album and it really just from personal recounts it shows like they were still working to try and get something out there and just doing their all and it's just it's such a shame that they never got the respect they deserve even up until debatably now because there's still a lot of people that don't know who sparks are unfortunately even after this documentary but i think now this came out and also uh, a couple months later in August, um, the film Annette came out, yeah, which Annette, Annette is a, is a French musical. It stars Adam Driver and Marie Cotillard, uh, personally. Marion Cotillard? Yeah, Mar- Marion Cotillard. Uh, what did I say? You said Marie. <laughs> oh, Marie. Oh, oh sorry. You good, you good. But um, yeah, personally, I, I didn't care for it. I thought it was incredibly pretentious, but it had music from Sparks. And knowing after seeing the Sparks Brothers, like, seeing that afterwards gave me a lot more context and also respect for even though that movie was not very good you could still sense that they put a ton of heart and passion to that much like they do with any of their other albums yeah i mean because i feel like that's like one thing that's inspiring about the band it's like they want to maintain that creative streak it's kind of like you know how the beatles were in the latter half of their career after uh revolver because you know they just wanted to continue to put out something that would that showed a lot of the band's creativity and sparks is no exception because sparks really has done that for over five decades when the beatles ruled the 60s it's like sparks has always just been this underground type band that you know not a lot of people are going to necessarily know about i mean all they really know about is that the 
um, what is it, a Ron that kind of has the Hitler mustache yeah, <laughs> way yeah. back in the day. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, like it's like, oh yeah. I mean, I know that band. That's the guy that. That's where they had the guy with the Hitler mustache, and Hitler was the penis. And it's like, oh. <laughs> and and uh, Russell Mayo has like an incredibly high pitched voice too. He almost sounds if you're just to listen to it without hearing or seeing his face or knowing anything about him. It 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 could it honestly could be a female voice too. It just could be, yeah. Especially back in the day too, and not so much now, just because they're both pretty old now. But they're still making music. Yeah, I mean they're still doing. It. I mean, 2021, they're still going the route that they want to go, and it's like it's because you know it's like I was because while after I watched the documentary, it's like okay, I'm gonna look into their catalog to see if they released anything else, and they released a lot of content. Like yeah, they've they've released 25 albums in 50 years, with their most recent being in 2020. Yeah, and it's like you know at one point it's like you know it's like Elton John, like yeah, maybe you could give up now and then and not make over 40 plus albums, or maybe stop after like Billy Joel's in and just you know just you know just continue to be a great artist but you know for them it's like that nah, they don't care they just want to do whatever they want and that's pretty inspiring they're not doing it for any commercial appeal they're not doing it to try to catch up the trends i don't know do you want to see the sparks brothers on tiktoks i don't no, think so i don't think so <laughs> but yeah i mean it's like you want to see them just be creative and be themselves because they just are the sparks brothers i think that's like probably the most inspiring thing that you can get out of this documentary yeah, it's definitely like as long as they're still alive, they're going to keep making music, which I think is really awesome. And they're performing live, too. Like, I think now that we're living in a world, not necessarily post-COVID, but with people getting vaccinated and all that, we're now able to have live shows. And they're coming back with live shows in 2022. So they're still going to keep doing this. You know, I might just go see one of the shows. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I might just go ahead and do that because, you know, any band that, I think it's gonna reignite their popularity. I don't think they never. I don't think they necessarily had popularity um, during like their prime years. But I think they're still just gonna be able to just do what they want to do and just be able to create what they want to create. And I think that's because you know I, we see that with movies like say with West, like what we mentioned with Wes Anderson or Tarantino, that just want to maintain that creative level of um, consistency and Edgar Wright obviously is no exception so it's very interesting that you know we just get people who just want to create what they want to create yeah most definitely but we are going to move on into a quick uh, grant spot and we'll be right back with more Bijou Banter welcome back to Bijou Banter we are continuing our conversation on the Sparks Brothers and even though this is first and foremost it is a look at the lives of the Sparks but it also is a passion project for Edgar Wright. And we kind of talked about in the presentation, not just the use of archival footage, but even in terms of its visual cues and editing too. Oh, it yeah. has an Edgar Wright feel, which is really impressive considering it's really just talking headshots and archive footage. Really, Yeah, because, you know, I mean, and that's kind of the stereotype that documentaries have been falling into. Um, and something like I think that does need to change a bit. It's just that, you know, there's not enough immersion in documentaries anymore. Um, and, and obviously that's just a personal critique of mine because I do feel like, you know, there's, you get your story, but you also want to be able to get like the visual presentation and like the immersion, right? And I think Edgar Wright does what it's, what he's supposed to do because you're kind of really immersed in this world of sparks for um, most of the film. And I really feel, because especially like, there's like this one sequence where it's like, they're talking about, um that they're going to be performing all of their albums um, in back-to-back shows and oh, say, yeah. like, over, like, 300 songs. And you get that sequence where it's, like, even though they're still talking, you could still hear, you could still see the beat, and then it's, like, they're beating, it's, like, they're cutting past each of their albums. And it's, like, that is clever without even trying to overshadow the rest of, like, um, the talking head interviews. Because, for one, the interviews are still there. They're still talking. And, two, it's, like, it's making you kind of feel like all the anxiety that went into those shows of like trying to perform 300 of their songs and like all their shows. That is amazing. It, it It is simply incredible. Just like the endurance that was probably that they have to have during that part. That's probably the one part of the documentary where I wish they focused on a bit more. It seemed like it was, they kind of dropped it for like one section and just kind of like moved on. Mm, yeah. Because like like most the movie structurally it just it covers their early life 
their beginnings and then just their career up until now. That's the one portion where it's like, I wish that got a bit more of a dedicated section because I really want to. Honestly, that whole thing could have been its own documentary. Oh, yeah, it could have been. Which is which is awesome, man. It's like th- this documentary is over two hours. It's, it's pushing two and a half hours. But the amazing thing is that even though it's it's pretty long and there's a lot of content, it flies by. This movie does not feel like two hours. It's specifically it's two hours and twenty minutes. It does not feel that long. Nah, it doesn't because like it doesn't. Because I feel like you know there's so much passion here, and the way it's Edgar Wright has it paced really works in service of the runtime because you know there's a lot of history here, and I think it's like kind of expected. Like you know people would think, oh yeah, this is going to be an hour and a half documentary because you know it's about a band that not a lot of people knew, but it's like. No, Edgar Wright's going to show their entire catalog and not look back. I mean, that's just pretty amazing in itself. Yeah, and, and also you never get the sense that this was made for commercial purposes. It's not like they wanted clout or anything yeah. like that. It's like this is made because a director saw the, is a fan, saw this band, and wanted to tell a story and introduce these artists to even more people. Like, Sparks is pretty niche, that's for sure, but there's still a lot of people out there that probably are aware and probably saw this because they're sparks fans but that the ratio between that is like i don't know i don't know what the ratio is it's very small but there's still so many people that have no idea who sparks are and that's why when i saw this i was so excited because it's like wow i actually felt like i learned a lot from a documentary which is like that's what you want from a documentary you want to learn something new and it does that in such a creative way that is not only engaging, but also makes you want to go out and seek more of their career. Yeah, because I think this is, I wouldn't say it's going to reek. I mean, I think the fan base has always been there because it's like, it's like I said, it's a very underground fan base. It's kind of like how MF Doom had it for the hip hop community where, you know, he was known by everybody, but never really listened to. But I feel like with Sparks, it's like one of those bands where it's like, you know, not a lot of people listen to, but I think this do- documentary is going to reignite, um, like, just reignite the fandom a bit and, you know, have people, you know, listen to their music because, you know, Edgar Wright is a popular enough director where, you know, I think more and more people are going to listen to the music. I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, when they start doing live shows again that people start showing up to the, to their concerts. I mean, not saying, like, nobody showed up to their concerts, but I guarantee More, more people are going to show up. Yeah, so. I mean, it's not like Kanye's Donda where you get, like, a whole stadium full of people, <laughs> but it's like you're at least going to get, like, a big... It's probably going to be a bigger group than they probably have not anticipated. Yeah, most definitely, just because even, like, they have some footage of, like, live concerts that they've done, and they're they're pretty sizable, but it's like when you look at other artists, like, for example, Kanye or... I don't like Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Billie Eilish or something. It's not like they're pack. They're like packing in like people inside Staples Center or something like that, or inside like a mass, like the O2 arena in London or something. It's like they're, they're pretty small venues. And also just, there's some like outdoor footage, but you could tell that after this movie and and probably after Annette as well, because a lot of people I assume saw that movie because it's on Amazon prime. So there's this new legion of Sparks fans that I think is about to happen in the next like probably year or two. Yeah, most definitely because I I, know, I like I said I don't think it's gonna get like sizable audiences like current mainstream artists, but I do think that it's gonna be able to like you know gain a big enough audience that people will have a lot of appreciation for their music, and I think it's honestly good for them because you know like this is a band that's existed for five decades, have been able to maintain a creative balance in terms of what they wanted to do and you know are so passionate that why not go ahead and listen to all 25 of their <laughs> albums i wouldn't mind doing that i mean i i pulled that off of bowling in a day i guarantee i could pull it off with sparks yeah i mean they're they're pretty accessible like they have they have a youtube channel they got most of their i think they have all their albums on spotify yeah so they're out there and also too like we we haven't really even just touched on the songs too, but their songs are really good. Oh, they yeah. showcase some of their biggest hits, like uh, "This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us," or I think that's what it, yeah, I, I yeah. might I might butcher the title. There's also number one song in heaven, "Beat the Clock," yeah. uh, "My Baby's Taking Me Home." It's just all they combine so many different music styles and genres, but make it their own too, which is really clever. Yeah, because you know it's it's all that genre bending. I mean, you don't usually get that anymore. I mean, sometimes you do. Like, I mean, I know hip hop's been doing that recently within the community. Um, I can try and 
trying to combine rock and roll or maybe like even putting country in there, which I don't know, that's either a hit or miss in my opinion. <laughs> but um, stay with Old Town Road, folks, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I think you just gotta, I think it's just nice that, you know, this band's been doing that for years. That It's honestly on the level that the Beatles have been at when they were in the 60s. And it's just such a shame that they didn't get the appreciation at the time apart from the band that had Hitler as its penis. So I think... Hopefully we'll get that um, in the future and, you know, people will be more appreciative of their music. Absolutely. And we are just about out of time for our conversation on the Sparks Brothers. So final thoughts? Yeah, I really like this movie. Um, I think it it's pretty a shame that I, want, I don't want to say it's like the greatest documentary, but I think this is probably Edgar Wright's best film this year, unfortunately. <laughs> Which isn't to say the film's bad, but it's like, you know, we all had our hypes for last night in Soho and... Boy, did it kind of disappoint, but I don't know. I was so entertained by it. Otherwise, this is a great documentary just detailing a bunch of artists that really love that really love music and just really want to create, and that's probably the most inspiring thing. They don't care if it's commercial, commercially successful. They don't care if it's critically successful. They just want to create what they want to create, and as an artist, I think that's the most inspiring thing you can get out of this film. So I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10. Yeah, it is an amazing documentary just from beginning to end. It is genuinely one of my favorite documentaries that I've seen in quite a long time. Just because it's visually unique, it has an incredible uh, historical backlog that it goes through. But also, what you said for that message, it is it has such a simple message, but it is a very inspiring message that inspires us to create and also not being afraid to pursue our creative spark. And I think it is simply excellent. Like Just everything about it, I... Loved. If you had a choice between this and the other Edgar Wright film, definitely watch this instead if you would like to, just because it's not only way more entertaining, but you'll actually learn something too. So uh, with that said, I loved the Sparks Brothers. It is now streaming on Netflix. Check it out if you would like to, and I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. So that concludes this episode of Bijou Banter. Be sure to tune in next week where we're going to be talking about the latest Marvel film, Eternals. Mm. And we originally said we we're going to talk about this this week, but we decided to push it back. We're going to talk about Army of Thieves, the Army of the Dead prequel on Netflix. So we'll probably talk about that. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit through the entire theater for Eternals, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, Yeah, well, but with that said, I've been Matthew. And I've been Daniel. And we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.